Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. She'll be along in a minute here. Our guest is one of the best-known actors in television history. He was the man from Atlantis, one of my favorite shows as a kid. He played Bobby Ewing on the legendary series Dallas, which ran for 13 years. He spent seven years on the sitcom Step by Step, co-starring Suzanne Somers, and now he is starring in the brand new Lifetime movie, Doomsday Mom, the Lori Vallow story. It's airing Saturday, June the 26th at 8, 7 central on Lifetime. Patrick Duffy is here. Patrick, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, you're welcome, and thanks for having me. This is uh, a rather patched together interview, isn't it? It is. It is. But you know what? We will work through it. Sue is going to join it. You're, you're in a parking lot. Sue's in a traffic jam. But you know what? I'm so excited to talk to you because uh, you're such an iconic guy. Um, I'm, curi- I'm curious, as a kid, did you always want to be an actor? I always acted. I didn't know that it was uh, a viable profession. You know, I, uh, until I got into high school, basically, or junior high, uh, I was cast in a, a school play. And that was the first time I actually stopped pretending in front of my television set. Hmm. You know, as a child watching Westerns, you know, the Roy Rogers show and Sea Hunt and things like that. And I would do what they did. And I didn't know it was acting. I just thought I was having fun. Uh, and I didn't even know it wasn't real. Uh, when you're that young and you're watching television, you think it's real, even if it's a Western, it's like, it must be real somewhere. Sure. And, sure. And then when I got into plays in high school, my high school drama teacher is the one who said, you might be able to make a living doing this. Uh, she was thinking theater basically. Um, and so I, I opted out of being an architect and went home, told my dad, I'm going to be an actor. And he looked up from his paper and said, yeah, okay. And went back to reading. <laughs> the paper. So obviously it was a big decision according to him. Were, were you good from the jump? Are you, you're asking an actor if he thinks he's a good actor? Oh, well, I'm asking, I guess, <laughs> as, a, as a kid, did you know that you had a gift, that you had talent? Yeah. I, I did know that everything I did, people liked, and people on stage reacted the way I thought they should react when we were working together. That in college became, yeah, I'm, I'm actually able to row this boat as well as the next person. And I have to admit also, I was, you know, an actor who, you know, is typecast as a young leading man. You know, if, if you can pull your weight, it's a godsend because mm. there are times when they look great and it doesn't work or they're great actors, but they just don't fill the bill, you know, as a, as the Romeo or the Baron or people like that. So I was lucky in that aspect that I was able to do the job. So as a kid, I liked stuff that had sort of a, a supernatural superhero kind of quality to it. And so I was naturally uh, excited by man from Atlantis, which, which was a great, in my little kid head, that was like one of the coolest shows in history. Did you get that? I did. I totally got it. When I, was auditioning for it. I thought it was going to be the coolest thing in the world just to be in a science fiction movie as opposed to walking down the normal street or getting into a car. 
I was able to swim faster than dolphins and superhuman <laughs> strength and breathe underwater. And I thought, this is the best thing ever. Um, and it was, uh, if you look back at it now, my friend, it was rudimentary science fiction. There yes. were no special effects. I mean, it was when we had to do a water thing, you did a water thing. There was no green screen or blue screen or CGI or any of that. Um, and it was an adventure. And it was the perfect thing for a young man. I was 25 at the time I started Man from Atlanta. So, you know, everything was new. I, I was a carpenter earning a living because I couldn't get an acting job. And the next day, I was the star of The Man from Atlantis. It was wow. mind and life altering. It truly yeah. was. So yeah. then, then comes Dallas, which I, I'm telling you, it's, it's hard for me to even describe what a big deal Dallas was when it was happening. When you signed on for it, did you have a sense that it had a chance to be what it became? No, none of us did. Um, the, the pilot of Dallas was actually five episodes. So it was a five-part miniseries. And when Atlantis was canceled, I was offered several other television shows, but they were all one-episode pilots. Um, and the only reason I took Dallas was, oh, my God, at least it's five episodes. If it doesn't go, I've got five paychecks coming. And that's why I took the show. And literally through the first year, well, when we finished the five, every actor on that show Hagman included, was on the phone to their agents going, find me work. We don't know if this is going to go anywhere. And uh, then we got picked up. And the first year was iffy. And after the first year, they, they shot JR. And we looked at each other. And it's rare for an actor to be able to say, but we would all see each other at the last show of that season and say, see you next year. And we knew we were coming back. And we knew we were coming back for the next I would say nine years, uh, you know, before it started to lose its legs. But that's rare to have that longevity and, and guaranteed income and security and all of the things that come with it. It was great fortune on my part. Hey, Sue. Sue Kalinsky's on the line. Hey, Hi. Sue. Hi, well, Patrick. So well, not, cool, not cool to be fashionably late to uh, my own podcast. <laughs> Well, that's okay. I, I was fashionably thankful that you were late to your own because I was on the freeway stuck also. <laughs> oh, my God. Were, yeah, you on, were, a, you, were you on the 110? No, I was on the 134 coming into Pasadena. And right now I'm in a Vons parking lot. And, and just as a little sidebar, you're not going to get anything from her because this is all about me. But there's... Oh, hi. Hey. Hi, hi, Linda. Hi there. Okay, that's enough. It's more about me now. <laughs> well, we're talking about freeways. We sound like the Californians on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah we do. It's, it's crazy time. But but how great is it that technology, we can do this? I'm in a parking lot. You're somewhere. We've got a nice picture behind your head there. I'm not sure who painted that. And and now we've got, you know, the owner of the podcast. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So you co-starred with uh, the late, great Larry Hagman. And in a, in a book by his daughter, she described him as sort of a happy-go-lucky party kind of guy. What, what, was he, what was he like? Well, first of all, let me tell you that from the moment I shook his hand when we met during the table reading of Dallas, he became my best friend. Wow. And wow. the same thing for him. We talked about it over the years, that there was just something that we knew about each other. There was 100% trust. And... Just so you know, 
he was a party guy. He came to that reading with saddlebags, uh, you know, <laughs> literally saddlebags uh, filled with champagne. <laughs> and we all drank champagne and laughed and read the script and laughed some more and drank some more. And that lasted for 13 years. Wow. Wow. Larry wow. and I would have a glass of champagne every morning when we reported to work. I would get to the studio at 7 a.m., drop my bags, go to his dressing room. We'd pop the cork on a bottle of champagne. We'd both have a glass and start the day's work. Wow. So I had heard that he had a, um, an RV. Uh, an, RV is, an RV is gilding the lily, my dear. <laughs> he had a converted bread truck, a delivery truck that he converted himself. Right. It was old. You were lucky if it got down the street. But he cut a hole in the roof, put a big bubble on it. He hung a hammock from wall to wall inside under there. There were igloo coolers. I'm not endorsing products, but if they want to send me one, fine. Sure. Uh, but igloo coolers full of ice and champagne. And he drove that from L.A. to Dallas, Texas. And that was our saving grace during the miniseries because they didn't have a single motorhome or anything for the actors. And it was freezing. So we would all just jump in his converted bread truck, pop another bottle of champagne, wow. and wait for wow. the next shot. The, the reason why I brought it up is because my husband and I have a travel trailer. And when we were shopping for one, we went to this RV uh, lot and they had Larry Hagman's bus no. in the bread truck. They had it and it was for sale for <sighs> like, I don't know, maybe $18,000, $19,000. Oh, my God. And, um, but it was it was cool. I mean, yeah. it work but it was really really cool yeah even the chairs he didn't have normal chairs he had desk chairs from old roll top desks <laughs> right, right. that he had screwed into the floor you know and i'm sure if he was pulled over they would have just arrested him for endangerment but um it was wonderful it was that's who he was that's who we were together we would take trips together um you know it, it, we would go fishing together wow uh, i found the home that i ended up living in for 30 years because I went fishing there with Haggy. And the second year that I went there with him, the owner wanted to sell. So I bought it. And that's been my home up in Oregon since 1990. So I, I remember this so clearly. I was doing morning radio at this time and we, we hung on every episode of Dallas. We would talk about every episode of Dallas. And uh, there was that one season where it didn't go the way fans liked and it turned into you in the shower. <laughs> How, when they pitched you that, what, what did you think? Well, it came in waves. Um, first of all, this will tell you how long ago it was. I got home one afternoon and my message light was blinking on the answer machine. And I played it back and it was Haggy. And he said, Patrick, I want you to come out to Malibu. Let's get drunk. I want to talk to you. <laughs> and I knew at that moment that they're going to ask me to come back on the show. And they knew that Hagman was the only one who could do that, that could broach that subject with me. So I did go out to Malibu. We did get a little tipsy. And he said, you got to come back on the show. He said, first of all, I don't have any fun anymore without you to play with. Oh. Second of all, <laughs> last season sucked. <laughs> he, he hated every part of it and so that started the ball rolling and then my basic mentor in the business leonard katzman um the executive producer on dallas had a meeting with me and he said here's my plan 
We all know last season did not work. I don't want to spend another season writing all those characters out and getting back. We're going to pretend it didn't happen. And it was all a dream and you're coming back in the shower. And I went, I don't care how I come back as long as I come back. <laughs> and what he did, which is amazing. I don't know how many people know this story. I've told it a lot, but we filmed an actual commercial for Irish Spring Soap. Not on the Dallas set, not even on the MGM lot. They, they rented a commercial filming company lot soundstage, built a replica of the shower that you saw in the episode. It was a totally different shower. Uh, there was no actor from the show. Victoria wasn't there. Nobody knew about it. No crew members from the show. And it was just Leonard Katzman, myself, and a pickup crew. And we spent an entire day with me in the shower, the door opening by magic because they couldn't show anybody's hand. I turn around and say, good morning. And then I wait because I know it's a freeze frame. And then I continue. And you can have a good morning, too, if you wake up like the Duffy Fawcett <laughs> of Irish Spring Soap. Oh, that's fantastic. That's and fantastic. I, did it, I did it on the first take. So we could have gone home. But then the entire production company would have smelled a rat. So we spent the whole day with Leonard saying, there's too much suds. I can't read the Irish Spring. Let's do it again. And then we had it in the can. They hand carried that cut piece of film to New York on an airplane. And just before the show aired, an ex uh, 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 editor cut it in to the sending apparatus, whatever it was, so that nobody knew what was happening until I turned around in the shower at the end wow. of the show. Wow. wow. What a, it was such a bold move, man, to do oh. something like that. And I must admit, it upset a few people because mm -hmm. our fans were really loyal fans. And when they had that year, they invested in it, even if it wasn't the best. And so... Uh, I got a little bit of blowback, but they hung with us for five more years. Yeah, you know, watching the scene when you were um, when you were dying, uh, and Larry Hagman as Jr. was saying, "Bobby, don't leave me," and I'm thinking because uh, I knew that he didn't want you to leave the show. I know. So you know, I'm watching this, and I'm like, he he's he's talking to you as Jr., but he's he's talking to you as Larry Hagman to too. Yeah, he's telling Patrick, "Please don't do this." Please. I know. I can't watch that scene, actually. Mm. I mean, I, I watch it, but I puddle and I cry. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, let's uh, let's change to this is uh, an unbelievably uh, creepy, I guess, story. Doomsday oh, yeah. or Vallow story. Right. Uh, did you know about this story before you actually were cast in the in the movie? When I was cast in the movie. I didn't know that story was the story that I had heard sometime before on the news. And it wasn't until we got to Canada and we're talking to the director and everybody about the show that Linda and I were starting to, Oh my God, I remember that on the news. Oh my. And then you would go back and see the news coverage of, of this incredible story of the audacity of, of the evil nature that rose up in that woman and Chad, the, 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 the co-accomplice. And then the fact that they just blissfully went to Hawaii, got married, you know, posted their wedding photos and everything. And, um, you know, the story is true. And the way it's depicted in the film is, you know, almost verbatim because they took a lot of the dialogue from interviews, et cetera, from mm. the grandparents and the people. So we became more aware of the subject matter 
which almost made it worse. I would have preferred it to have been fiction. Sure. You know? um, and to realize that that is the, the depths that people can sink to, um, you know, and, and not as crazy people, but just almost as victims of their own uh, natures. It, it was a, a lesson, a life lesson, you know, that, uh, you know, we all need to be aware and observant and, and forceful in, in terms of making moves to that might have circumvented this of happening, you know, uh, so you know, it, was, it was tough. You know, as, as an actor, um, obviously it's, it's a part that you're playing, but right. when you're doing subject matter like that, I mean, how does it, does, does it affect you? Like when you, when you leave the set, just because it's so disturbing and it was, and it was real. And it was real and it was ongoing. It hadn't resolved until after we finished filming that she was actually charged. Um, the blessing of this particular part for both Linda and myself is we were isolated from the rest of the story and the filming. Mm -hmm. and our, our characters were responsible for pushing the resolution forward to actually finding the truth, convicting the people, getting them arrested, etc. That helped a lot. I can't imagine the day-to-day uh, washing off of your work when you leave the set if you're playing Laurie or Chad. Yeah. Uh, that is a that is a place I wouldn't want to go to on a regular basis. So no, it was not as difficult. The subject matter, because both Linda and I are parents and I'm a grandparent times four. So even the 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 backwash of the story was effective. Yeah. And, yeah. and you have to you have to leave it on the set. You can't you can't take it home. And good actors, I think, don't have to take it home. Uh, the you know the characters of Laurie and, and Chad, they're so good. It is affecting them while they're working. But you know they'd come to the set chipper. They would come mm. to the set happy. You know, and then have to do what they did. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it was an indication of the quality of their performance as well and their abilities. Well, I wish we had more time, but I know I know we've all got a got a break here. The movie is called Doomsday Mom: The Lori yep. Vallow Story. It will premiere on Lifetime Saturday, June twenty fifth at eight p.m. seven central. Recommend it's a if you're a true crime person, this is exactly. this is a this is right up your alley. I I recommend the movie, and it's not left hanging. In other words, the the perpetrators of this act are now incarcerated and charged and justice will prevail. Yes. I, I know you yeah. have to leave, but I, I have to say one thing, Patrick. Please I, do. I worked on Hollywood Darlings when you did a guest appearance. Oh, on, I was one of the God. producers. Really? And I have to tell you, well, for people that don't know, Hollywood Darlings was following the lives of um, prior child stars. It was Christine Lakin, who was your step-by-step oh. co-star, um, Jody Sweeten, and Beverly Mitchell. And it was a softly scripted, kind of a curbish type of show. Right. And, and I have to tell I, I worked in post, but I was there when you shot. And I have to tell you, in all my years of doing that type of television, it was so much fun editing the scenes that you did because you were so funny. I mean, and, and I know that, you know, you have a relationship with, with, with Christine. Yes, but, I do. 
it was just hysterical. And um, I just, I, you know, I never got to tell you that because I didn't oh. see it after, after we were doing it, but you were just tremendous on it. And um, I just wanted to let you and know. And my other, my other favorite daughter was on it with us as well, Stacy Keenan. Oh, right. Mm. Stacy. That's right. So That's right. Stacy and Christine were my girls. They, you know, for years after Step by Step was canceled, I got Father's Day cards from them. Wow. I, 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 you know, I walked Stacy through Loyola Marymount Law School, basically. You know, it was the pride of my life to write a letter of recommendation for her to get into law school. Wow. Uh, and now she's a, she's a bona fide uh, prosecutor for the LA uh, DA. Wow. Uh, and Christine is a notable director now and an incredible performer, but she's now making her bones as a director. And she started on Step by Step at, I think, the age of nine or ten. Wow. Crazy. So, amazing. So I'm really old. Nah, nah, <laughs> nah, not at all. Not at all. And our best to, uh, to Linda, who I know is right there. Hi, Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi there. That's enough. Back to me. Back to you. <laughs> hey, Patrick, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it, man. Uh, and, and thanks for bending over backwards to make it work like this. I appreciate it from both of you. Thank you so much. And the very charming Patrick Duffy there. Uh, an odd start to the uh, conversation there, Sue. Well, you know, I'm usually home. Yes. I, I usually don't plan anything. But I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll totally have time. And then there was, you know, confusion that I thought that the that the podcast was going to be an hour later. So I, I mean, gave myself two and a half hours to get home. Yeah. Right. And then traffic just stops on the 110. And then uh, I see a police car go by and I'm like, what is going on? So I turn on, you know, the traffic station. Yep. And um, they said traffic has just stopped on the 110 going south. Then, and I'm right by the on-ramp and all these cars are passing me. Yeah. People, it was like the movie The Stand. <laughs> it, all these cars were, were bumper to bumper on the on-ramp and they all turn around and they go in the opposite direction. Wow. Freeway. And cars were coming up. I was in the right-hand lane. They're going in the shoulder to get around me to get off the freeway. So I'm like, well, I have to do that too. So I get off and Waze is not up to speed <laughs> where I am. So it's telling me to get back on the 405. I call up Tom yep. and, and, and I'm like, are you home? And he said, no. And I said, you have to help me. I got to get home. I, <laughs> I have a podcast and I'm driving. I'm like Steve McQueen in bullet. I am weaving <laughs> Adelaine's. And, uh, and of course I have to go to the bathroom. And um, anyway, I pull oh, you up. made it. I made it. I pull you up. I've, you know, I've got my, my belt unbuckled, my pants undone. I'm like, I just run into the house. Go to the bathroom, jump on. Well, and you know, and he, we, we juggled around everybody's schedule, and uh, he was in Avon's parking lot, as he said. <laughs> so it was, it was interesting. It was patched. It worked perfectly, though. I love the stories about Larry Hagman. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, uh, so Sue, I wanted to hit you with something. I am a huge fan of the Olympics. I love the Olympics, and they're coming up in a couple of weeks in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And I have said that I don't think they should happen this year. I think they should have been moved to next year when things, apparently Japan, COVID is really bad, all that stuff. But tell me what a bummer this is for the Olympics this year. Um, they're allowing limited fans, only uh, Japanese fans, only, only people from J Japan who are domestic. Um, they must wear a mask. They must be temperature checked. Uh, they have banned alcohol. 
which is a staple at Olympics. Uh, you're not allowed to cheer because I guess the idea breath. is breath and, and aspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, no high fives, no <laughs> towel waving, no asking for autographs, and just frankly, no fun. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's a shell of the event. It really is. It really is. And what about what about the torch and all that and, and running through? You know, I have no idea like, what's going on with that. I, I yeah. are they carefully running it? I'm not even I'm not even sure if they're running the torch. Um, but you know, NBC's got so much money locked up in this. I guess they they have to do it. But it's a shame. I feel bad for athletes that have trained literally their entire lives for this one Olympics and. Like their parents aren't going to be able to be there. Their friends aren't going to be able to be there. They're, even even some of their trainers aren't going to be able to be there. It's just, you're right. It is a shell of what the Olympics should be. Given all that, I still, I go to the Church of the Olympics and I will watch every single minute that I can. Uh, there will be great stories from it. Uh, I've gotten to do seven Olympics. I'm not doing this one. Nobody's doing this one. Um, In fact, uh, Westwood One, the people I usually work for, they're not even going to Japan and doing this. So what is just Japanese reporters that are going to be? Oh, no, NBC will have people there, but nobody else. NBC will, but nobody else. Okay. Uh, so it's it's a little bit of a bummer, but I will watch it. I I love the Olympics. I love the Olympics. I want to hit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, but I just I like you said. I mean, I do feel bad for the for the athletes because of the strain of having to compete under these conditions. Is you know, it's like you want to put an asterisk there. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Really. Unfair. So I want to hit you with one more thing. HBO sent out a tweet yesterday, and the question was this: If you could have dinner with any three HBO characters, who would you pick? And I'll, I'll tell you, while you're thinking, I'll tell you mine. So I'm a huge Game of Thrones guy. Peter Dinklage played Tyrion. Tyrion was a nonstop party monster. He was big with the ladies. He was big with the wine. He would be at my dinner party. Um, I also would have Leon Black, from uh, who JB Smoove from Curb Your Enthusiasm because I just think he is such a crack up. I love that guy. And the third one from the show Succession, Roman Roy, who's the kid that plays uh, the guy uh, played by Kieran Culkin. And he is such a smart ass, such a wise ass. I think he'd be great. So my dinner would be Tyrion from Game of Thrones, Leon from Curb Your Enthusiasm, and Roman Roy from Succession. I left, I had nobody from The Sopranos in there, which was tough to leave out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, one of mine would be Larry David. Now I'm, I, I've had dinner with Larry David <laughs> Yeah, I know. Before, you actually know Larry David. But, but he would definitely be a person that I would want at my dinner table. Yes. Um, John Oliver. Oh, John Oliver's a great idea. Yeah. Cause he's so funny and he's so smart. smart. He's so much smarter than us. And I would say Edie Falco. Oh, okay. So uh, Carmela. She's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, Carmela. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a soft spot for Adriana from The Sopranos because um, mm-hmm. I thought they really did her wrong. They shot her. It was so sad. That was the saddest moment of The Sopranos. Yeah, that think. was brutal. It was really really tough. But I loved Adriana. Um, and the other ones on my list, Selena Meyer. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She would okay. be great. Um, mm-hmm. And Larry Sanders. Oh, yeah. Would be great. And Stringer Bell from The Wire. Did you watch The Wire? I did watch The Wire. Stringer Bell, uh, mm-hmm. who is uh, the guy played by 
uh, Idris Elba. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic show. Yeah. HBO just has so many shows that you could pick from uh, that, uh, that it makes it a really good question. All right, Sue, you know who brings us this uh, show every single week? Yes, our lovely friend, Jacob. Yes, and we talk about Jacob all the time here. He is a sponsor of the Los Angeles Lakers, and he partnered with the Lakers because they both know what it takes to have a successful team. In basketball, the GM and ownership construct the team. The coaching staff works with the players, and the players perform on the court. Think of Jacob as the owner, GM, and a player coach. He's the owner and GM. He's built a large, powerful team that has got the knowledge and experience to help you win your case. Jacob, the coach, has got meetings with his team, analyzes the best path to success for your particular case. And Jacob, the player, will do whatever it takes to help you win your case, even jumping on a call, meeting face-to-face with the insurance company, or going all the way to a courtroom. Jacob is a real friend of mine. He's been to my house, been to my parties, a real person, a real attorney. That's why he's my attorney. And if you are ever injured in an accident, he should be your attorney. Call Jacob for a free consultation, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB. Or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. Now, to me, that sounded right. It didn't. You really have no ear for this. Our timing is terrible. It's so funny how I watch you and you you kind of like go away from the microphone a little bit. I do, like, I do. like you're some sort of crooner, you know? <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like Bing Crosby over here. <laughs> So uh, there you have it. There's your Culture Pop podcast. Sue, thanks for all of the uh, craziness getting in here and and being able to do this. And thanks to Patrick Duffy for getting in here and getting able to do this. Uh, That movie is super, super creepy on Lifetime. It is so disturbing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, But out out of curiosity, do you believe that she believed that the end of the world was coming? Yes. And me too. I do. Me too. I, I, do. the, I don't. I don't think. I don't think she just like wanted to get rid of her husband, or you know. I don't think that she wanted to like get rid of her kids. I think she really, really was so tortured and fell under the spell of this, and fell under the spell of that guy. Yeah, yeah, the husband. Uh, all right. Uh, hey, don't forget. If you are listening right now, please hit the subscribe button either on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that. Uh, You can rate us and leave a review. Much appreciated. Sue, great seeing you. You too, Steve. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. 